0: How is it possible? I mean, think about it. A perfect God, a holy God, but I'm going through so much pain. I don't understand. That's how Job felt. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. This is Bible Discovery TV, where we are reading through Job on this particular program, because we have several programs on this, and it's very, very interesting. Job 23 we'll look at today. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey?
1: I'm taking a look at olive oil today. It did and does have many uses, but how did the ancient Israelites manage to produce it? Ryan?
2: Today we're studying an ancient Chinese artifact that will actually give us some perspective on the book of Job.
0: Excellent. Very good. I love that. Oil and the artifact. That's excellent. Janice?
3: Friday. That means we've got a fun Friday wrap-up question. It will be anywhere from the book of Esther all the way through to Job chapter 23. I'm going to be asking Ryan and Corey and you too. Job 23, verses 1 through 13. Then Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No but he would take note of me. There, the upright could reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is unique, and who can make him change? and whatever his soul desires, that he does. Job chapter 23, verses 1 through 13. Job
0: chapter 20, 21, 22, and 23, as we continue reading through the scripture, Uh, this is something that we learn. Again, I suggest that Every philosophy class should read through Job and consider what it says about God and says about Job and all of that. It is a great study, let me tell you. And it's easy to misunderstand the meaning of an absolute perfect and caring God in times when we don't feel or see care at all. Too often our emotion overturns spiritual reason when we are experiencing the darkness of evil. We wonder. What could God possibly be doing while we suffer through this pain and agony? We need to remember, however, that evil is also a reality. It is a darkness that we cannot control. The Holy Spirit can keep us from the temptation to yield to evil or to give into sin that would only lead to evil having control over us. We must choose daily to follow the ideas and the plans of the Holy Spirit that he gives us to live. Now this does not mean that everything will go great. Job was learning the truth about God and the reality of evil. In his response to Eliphaz, he speaks as someone clearly reasoning with the truth about God. Somebody reasoning with the truth about God. I I love the book of Isaiah where it says, come let us reason together. Isn't that interesting? And we're going to learn about that today. If you take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, call us or write to us. We'll send you one or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go there, click on the page and it will take you to a donate page. And I want to say thank you for your donations. They're very important and they keep us alive around here. So thank you for that. But it takes you to a page where you can download all of the Bible guide for this month as it is printed. It's very exciting actually, and you can do this overseas or anywhere you want to. Uh, And I, I just say that it's, you can join us as we study through the Bible. It's just really, really exciting. Father today, as we look at the unchanging God, We have a lot of confusion in our mind because of the situations and the things around us. So help us to learn. Help us to understand what you've said because we need to change our hearts, Lord. We're not going to make decisions based on our feelings. We're going to make decisions based on the knowledge of God, which directs our feelings. We're going to give you charge over them. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name, And we said together, amen and amen, or make it so, Lord, make it so. All right, Job chapter 23, verses one through seven. This is interesting. Look at this. It says, then Job answered and Job said, even today, my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groanings. Wow. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that is God, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the word which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. There, the upright could reason with him and I would be delivered forever from my judge. This, I want to tell you something. This is a fascinating passage of scripture because this is in the end, we're almost there. But in the end, in Job chapter 38, 39, we're going to learn God is going to talk to Job. He's, this is exactly what's going to happen. Job believed that God would judge him well because he had done no wrong. Now, as Christians, we are to help people and we're not to judge them. Did I say that? Yes, I did. We're to help people, not judge them. If somebody is doing something and it's really wrong, they get into trouble. I'm not going to say, well, glad he got it. Oh, he gets it. I'm not going to do that. That's not what the Lord calls us to do. But what I am going to say is, if he wants to know you, Jesus, I pray for him to know you and then tell him about the Lord and what he can do. That's the way we respond to it. Our social media has darkened our positions of response and we have not learned God. We need to learn God again. Job 28, eight through 10. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. Backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him but he knows the way that I take when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Job was solidly proved of this. He, he, he said, I know that Job knows that God will judge him rightly. The end is not yet. And the Lord's plan is not revealed in our time, but in his, let me tell you again, the time in which we live is called the time of grace, the time of the church And Laodicea is the church in Revelation chapter three. And do you know what God says? God says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're not, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That same chapter in verse 20, chapter three, it says, behold, I stand at the door of the church. He's outside the church. Behold, I stand at the door of the church and knock. And any man who hears me and lets me in, I will come in and fellowship with him. We need to let Jesus Christ back into our lives, back into our church, back into our places where we work. Very important. Job chapter 23, verse 11. Here's what it says. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my my necessary food. Wow. But he is unique and who can make him change and whatever his soul desires that he does. And this is what Job says. Job states that God is perfect. God is just and he does what he desires. Remember, God is perfect and does not change. God is perfect and does not change. You know, There's a passage in the scripture and it says, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord, your God. We cannot be holy except Jesus Christ comes into our life, forgives us of our sin and the Holy Spirit is there. But beloved, we can change. We can change if we invite the whole, we can't change on our own. But with the Holy Spirit, it's not from this world. It's from the divine mind. With the Holy Spirit, that's how we change. And we say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. Help me today. And supernaturally, God does this. It's salvation. It's the most amazing thing. And if you want to come to Christ, very simple prayer. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Help me. I don't want to sin anymore. I give my life and my decisions to you. Teach me your way and show me your path. Be the Lord of my life. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again in the flesh. I am yours in Jesus name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, let me tell you something, God will radically change your life and join us in the scripture as we go through, as we study the Bible, as we learn it, because that's very important. So let's keep that in mind today and let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
2: Today, we continue our reading through the book of Job, and one of the things I think is really fascinating and significant is the references to certain metals like iron, copper, and bronze. Uh, for instance, Job chapter 20, verse 24 says, He will flee from the iron weapon. A bronze bow will pierce him through. And Job 28, 2, which we'll be reading tomorrow, says, Iron is taken from the earth, and copper is smelted from ore. Now, this reference to smelting is very, very significant and helps with the dating of the book. Although it might be mistakenly thought that metallurgy was a later development due to evolutionary assumptions, both the Bible and the science of archaeology confirm that metalworking is a very, very ancient art indeed. In fact, the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, verse 22, first attributes the craft to Cain's son, Tubal cane, which would mean advanced metallurgy began not long after the creation of mankind. We also have artifacts which confirm that metalworking is also an extremely ancient craft. In fact, some of these metal relics so challenge the evolutionary timeline that they're referred to as out-of-place artifacts. Today, we're looking at one such artifact. Check it out. It was the American journalist, author, and college lecturer, René Neubergen, who first coined the term "uparts" in his book, Secrets of the Lost Races. This term is an acronym which stands for out-of-place artifacts, and as the name suggests, these are artifacts which contradict the widely held view that mankind evolved from less intelligent, apish creatures. One of these uparts was discovered in a Chinese tomb by archaeologists in 1952. Dating to the Qin Dynasty of 265-420 to AD, this undisturbed tomb contained a skeleton, which was encircled with a belt, on which were about 20 pieces of metal, four of which were nearly pure aluminum. As any professional will confirm, aluminum is not an easy metal to extract from its ore. In fact, modern aluminum plants use a process of electrolysis to obtain metallic aluminum. Yet, it appears that the Chinese were able to isolate aluminum from its ores 1,500 years or more before modern science discovered a practical method for doing it. Commenting on this Nanjing belt, one researcher affirms that this is no vague tale from antiquity. On the contrary, the tomb and belt were thoroughly studied by modern archaeologists and chemists. The latter vouched for the existence of aluminum. A hoax was deemed highly improbable. Where, then, did the aluminum come from? The problem here for evolutionary archaeologists is that they have attempted to organize human history into different ages, such as the Stone Age, Bronze Age, Iron Age, etc. But because the Nanjing belt contradicts this view, it is classified as an out-of-place artifact. More troubling for these archaeologists is the fact that this belt is by no means the earliest or only example of advanced metallurgy. Indeed, many kinds of bronze and iron implements are known to have been used in the earliest civilizations of Sumeria and Egypt. In fact, well-known researcher Graham Hancock marvels over the Egyptians' constant references to iron found in some of their pyramid texts. As with aluminum, iron is also not so easily extracted. Though small amounts can be found in meteorites, metallic iron must be smelted and the smelting, production, and forging of iron requires fairly sophisticated technical skills. Additionally, as another researcher points out, if the ancients knew how to smelt iron from its ore, then they most certainly could also smelt copper from its ore, since it is easier to smelt copper than iron. While ancient artifacts such as these completely undermine the well-accepted view of evolution and its different ages of history, they actually provide strong corroboration for biblical history. Genesis 4.22 records that Tubal Cain was an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. According to this passage, advanced metallurgy began not long after the creation of mankind. As you can see, based on findings like these, there's nothing that contradicts the idea that the events of Job occurred very early on in history. But what these findings do contradict is the man-made evolutionary timeline, which tries to place strict dates on the uses of certain materials at certain times, based upon their false perception of man's gradual increase in intelligence. In other words, people of the Stone Age shouldn't be intelligent enough to smelt bronze and iron, and certainly not aluminum and yet the evidence shows otherwise. In fact, these findings really line up with what the Bible teaches, because according to scripture, man was created in the image of God and thus was intelligent from the beginning. And so we would expect to find such incredible artifacts, and we do. As a matter of fact, if you want more examples of these out-of-place artifacts, then I want to recommend to you the video special I did on this topic called 30 Out-of-Place Artifacts. Of course, there's thousands of -of out-of-place artifacts, but I chose to highlight 30 of the most significant examples. So to get a hold of this, you can either order a physical copy or download it right to your computer from our website, which is BibleDiscoveryTV.com.
0: And that is a great, a great uh, video. I've seen it and it's excellent. I've watched it a couple of times. It's excellent. You should get a hold of that. Uh, Corey.
1: All right, well, today we are talking about olive oil. Now olive oil was an extremely important product uh, that ancient Israel utilized in many, many different ways. Uh, You know, it it was used medicinally. It was used as a staple of the diet. It was used in the religious applications uh, and practices of ancient Israel. Uh, So many different applications. So let's take a look specifically at olive oil, but also its production. One of the most valuable resources of biblical Israel was the olive tree. From it came one of the most precious and diverse products of the ancient Near East, olive oil. In Israel, olive oil had sacred use in the temple for light and offerings and to anoint priests and kings. In everyday life, it was used in cooking as a main source of dietary fat. It had medical applications, was used in beauty products, perfume, soap, and was fuel for oil lamps. Two months of the year were dedicated to harvesting and processing olives, a culmination of the year's growing season. Within a couple of days after hand harvesting, whole olives would be crushed into an olive mush, either by hand using a stone roller, by using wooden shoes to stomp them, or a bit later on by using a large millstone in a circular basin that was pushed around by man or donkey. The crushed olive mush would then be scooped and packed into round baskets made of natural fibers and designed with a hole in their bottom to facilitate oil drainage. The baskets were placed onto pressing vats, large stone storage containers. Early technology utilized a large wooden beam with heavy stone weights that was leveraged against the stacked baskets of olives, pressing the oil out of them. The number of presses determined the quality of the olive oil and whether it was suitable for religious use, human consumption and medicinal purposes, or for cosmetics and fuel. Later on in time, new pressing technology was invented and began to appear on the scene in the first to fourth centuries AD, mainly the screw press that used screw technology rather than a beam to squeeze out the oil. Freshly pressed oil is not perfectly pure, however. It's mingled with water and other naturally occurring substances from the olives, so the oil must be rested and separated. This was often done in large jars with stopped up holes near the bottom. With resting, the oil would rise to the top and the water to the bottom. Unplugged, the holes drained out the wastewater first, and then the oil could be collected and stored so many, many uses for olive oil, which I mean, it's still, still to this day, there are many uses for olive oil, but not so much, uh, you know, as, as lighting, especially here in Canada and America, we don't really use it in, in lamps and things of that nature. But you're going to notice as we continue to read through the poetic literature of the Bible, that olive oil is another one of those things, uh, elements of, of the world and, and the the life in ancient Israel that is going to pop up over and over in this scripture uh, because of it being a staple in the society and in the culture of the time. So because everyone knew it and knew about its uses, it had tremendous symbolic value.
0: And I love olive oil. I use it
1: frequently. <laughs> I was just sitting actually, here thinking about all the things we use you it because in. Because
0: I pretty much every night I have popcorn. I love it, but I don't put anything on it. Because I didn't know this, but popcorn is high in fiber and it's low. But effect. you cook
1: it in olive oil, is that oh, why you're talking yes. about tiny. I was tiny like, then why <laughs> a little bit of olive
0: oil? A beautiful, day. you can't cook it too hot because olive oil burns. Yes. But it's really good.
3: Now anyway. I understand.
0: Anyway, never mind. Uh,
3: <laughs> salad dressing. You were talking about
1: potato wedges yeah. that you made. Yes. Come on. Corey,
0: what did you do this weekend?
1: (laughs) Okay. So every single Saturday, my husband and I release the chapter by chapter recap, which just goes over all of the assigned reading from the discovery guide. And it keeps you, we aim to keep you on track with your Bible reading. So if you've fallen a little bit behind, we can get you caught back up so that you don't get really fallen behind with your Bible reading or discouraged or anything like that. So check it out. It's on YouTube. It's on my channel, which is just my name, Corey Babetchko.
0: And this is important because the the weekend is, we we still read scripture through the weekend. If you get the Bible guide, Mm -hmm. it also covers the weekend, what we read. But we don't do programs for it, but you do a program with your husband, Matlock, and together on this table, you put the mics up and you really hash out what we're going through and how we're doing it. So I want to encourage you. This is a part of our our outreach to you or not outreach are just our demonstration of what it means to go through the Bible. And uh, so I encourage you to uh, be a part of that and, and get a hold of it. It's very good.
3: Okay. I know too, that some people, cause I've read it in your letters, that they actually will use that time to make sure and to kind of test themselves <laughs> to see how well they've been paying attention. Right. Do you the remember it? Doing that, it yeah. catch so the details? These are the very Studious people. Yes. You know, kind of yes. love those studious people when they, <laughs> when, you know, they get to the weekend and they don't want to take the time off. They still want to make sure that they got it. I mm-hmm. think that's amazing.
0: I think that it really what we, <laughs> what we need to say, too, is the studious people are good because Ryan and Corey are very studious about yes. their pieces. They, they do their own writing. They do their own research. You guys do it all. And uh, it's very, very good. It's excellent, and we're
3: thankful because yes. there's so many details in that that I would never have time to look up or even know where to look it up. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it just brings good. a
2: little more depth to to the study. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah, you know, yeah. It helps us as well when we're doing our own studies. You know, exactly. so it's beneficial. And I hear exactly.
3: you guys going at it sometimes with different things that you found, and it's good. It's all very, very good. All okay. Right. So, the question anywhere from Esther to Job chapter 23, here it is. Um, Maybe an easy question, maybe not. I don't know. So, here it goes. Who did Esther send to Mordecai to find out why he was mourning and dressed in sackcloth? So, I'm looking for the person that Esther sent to Mordecai to find out what is going on. Okay. Was that Hamadatha? Was that Haman? Or was that Hathak? Hamadatha, Haman,
1: or Hathak? That's which not one. I'm not no, definitely not. It's, it's definitely, a, definitely, it's definitely not number is, two. It's yeah. one
2: or three. I'm not sure which one. Uh,
1: it's starting with an H did not help me. Like that knowledge did not help me in this one. <laughs> no, I think it's number three. I think it's the last one, okay, but yeah. I, I'm not 100% well, sure.
2: Well, we'll just go with that then. It's yeah. the best guess? Yeah, I think it is.
1: Okay, yeah. number three. You're thinking so? <laughs> I see a, a thumbs up from a thumbs up That's good sign. <laughs> well, Sometimes he looks over. And, I didn't look over. What did you Do you
3: cheat? Sometimes <laughs> I see eyes wandering. All right. So who did Esther send Mordecai to find out why he was mourning and dressed in sackcloth? Number one, Hamadatha. Number two, Haman. Number three, Hafak. Esther chapter four, verse five. Then Esther called Hathak one of the king's eunuchs whom he had appointed to attend to her and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So if you said, Havak, that was choice number three, like Ryan and Corey did, congratulations. You are correct. If you didn't get it, it's okay. Try the next time.
0: At the end of the program today, we pray, and we're going to pray this way. Join me. Lord, I desire to follow your word. I desire to follow your ways. In the name of Jesus Christ, and all of us said together, amen and amen. Now, amen means make it so. And let me tell you something. I want to invite you that we can pray for you on Facebook, YouTube, and or BibleDiscoveryTV.com. We'll pray for you every day, 3.30 to 4.00.